Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our morning worship service here from Elgin Baptist Church. My name is Graham Swanson and it is my privilege to be the pastor here. As an introduction to our two opening hymns of praise, I want to read some verses from Psalm 47. The psalmist in verses 6 through to 8 says this, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. And no matter what is going on within us or around us in our nation, in our world, we can take great comfort from the fact that God is our King and that he reigns and he, even this morning, is seated on his holy throne. Our opening songs invite us, first of all, to behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. And the second is a call for all peoples to praise him. May the peoples praise you. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As we come to you this morning, we come in and through the name and the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves us, the one who gave himself for us. And we come, O God and Father, to you who is seated upon your throne. And we want to lift our voice up in praise and in worship. We just thank you for that new song that you have put in our mouths. We, we thank you, O God, that you indeed are king. We thank you, O God, that you reign over all the nations. And as we were singing there and we we're reminding ourselves again, you are seated on your holy throne. Oh Lord, we come and we worship you and we adore you. We acknowledge that there is no God like Jehovah. We thank you that you are slow to anger. We thank you that you are bound in love. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that you shiver upon us, Lord. And as we, as we come to you now, we, we thank you that, that you have blessed us in so many ways. Uh, forgive us when we take for granted the, the, the many blessings that you bestow upon us, Lord. And we just ask that as we gather this morning, we might know what it is to praise and to worship you. Lord, we continue to pray for our nation at this time. We pray, we continue to pray, Father, for the, eradic the eradication of, of this coronavirus. We, we, we think on how, again, we're, we're seeing certain clusters of it forming in different parts of the country. And, and we just pray for uh, that it will be done away with, Lord. We, we, we pray, Father, for those who are suffering the effects of it in whatever way. Uh, we think of those who are physically ill and we pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them and heal them. We pray for those who are so worried in these days uh, regarding jobs and employment and finance and we commit them to you, Father. And we pray that you would help us just to cast all our cares and all our burdens on you, for you're the one who loves us. You're the one who cares for us. 
And as we gather this morning, Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we join in singing along to these great hymns and as we look together at your word. We pray that the Spirit of God might take the word of God and use it to bless the people of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, boys and girls, week two of school. And I've been praying for you all this week that, that you have managed to settle in well and that you're actually enjoying your schoolwork, whether that is reading or, or writing or maths or science or, or whatever it might be. And it's great, isn't it, to have teachers who know what they're talking about, who have learned the subject to teach us all of these things and also when we come home with homework and such like to get help from mum and dad. However, if we want to learn more, then we need to keep on learning. And we do that when we do our homework, but also when we take time to, to read a little bit extra at home, whether that's at books or whether that's going on to the computer or, or whatever. For there is always much more to learn. And so what we have to do is, in order to learn more, we just kind of keep digging a little bit more each time. But you know, boys and girls, that is important, not just for our school subjects, maths and uh, English and writing and reading and science. It is also so important concerning God. If we want to know more of God, then we need to keep on digging. And we do that when we read the Bible and when we speak to God in prayer. And when we do that, we will begin to know more and more of his love. So we're going to sing your little chorus now. Why don't we dig a little deeper in God's love? Let's sing that together. We continue our studies in First Thessalonians. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to, to chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 17 and on into verse 5 of chapter 3. And we remind ourselves as we were uh, thinking on last week, this is the word of God. So First Thessalonians 2 verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of every intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. 
I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. So read God's holy, precious and inspired word. We noted, as I said last week, the importance of recognising God's word for what it is, the word of God, and of how men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote it. Our next song reminds us that we too need the help of the Holy Spirit to, to understand it. The second part of the verse, first verse sorry, includes the line, even the prayer. Cause your word to come alive in me. So before we look together at this word, let us sing, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. Our Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to us individually and to us as a church. Please be with speaker and hearer alike. And may indeed this morning your word come alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There is an old saying <clears throat> that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And that certainly applies to the Apostle Paul regarding the church at Thessalonica. We've seen over these past weeks how much he cares for the church, how much he loves the church. We'll see this week how much he misses the church. He cares for them as a mother, as a father. He is so thankful to God for them. And in the verses that we read there earlier, Paul is in some senses shifting back to defending the, the false claims that were being made about him. These false claims we looked at a few weeks ago, that, that he just kind of up and left, that he didn't really care much about them. And when things got tough, uh, he, he went away. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. And you only need to read these verses to see what the church and what these people meant to the Apostle Paul. So let us work our way through the verses and see what we can learn from them. Firstly, from verses 17 and 18, we see something of Paul's longing. Paul's longing. Far from not wanting to come back, we see that Paul speaks about not even wanting to leave. He says, notice the words he uses, he says, when we were torn away from you, Paul did not leave voluntary. Due to mob rule, Paul had to leave the city of Thessalonica at night. Thessalonica at night. You, you can read all about that in Acts chapter 17. Even the language that Paul uses shows us his affection. He, he was torn away from them. Scholars tell us that the primary meaning of the word used is, is to make someone an orphan. It is to be deprived of. It is to be separated from. And, and, and we have seen, haven't we, the parental references that Paul has already made. This was a painful, painful separation. And what Paul is stressing here is, as one writer says, the involuntary nature of the separation and the emotional distress it caused him. 
He wanted nothing more than to be with them. And he made every effort to get back to see them. You know, even as I thought on this longing for to meet with the people of God that Paul had, I, I know the situations are different, but I couldn't help but think on our current situation and the deep longing and, and, and the deep desire to, to meet together fully again in this place. I guess, to quote another old saying, that, that you don't miss something till it's gone is true in, in many ways and many areas. And, and, and although Paul's reasons for not being able to meet with these believers and, and, and ours in the current situation are not the same, of course they're not. But nevertheless, the challenge is this. Do we have that same intense longing to meet with the people of God? Paul tells us at the end of verse 18, the reason that he wasn't able to come to them, the reason he wasn't able to meet with them, despite his efforts again and again trying, he tells us clearly, clearly, that Satan stopped him, stopped us. How he actually stopped Paul, Paul doesn't tell us. But that is a reminder to us, brothers and sisters, that we are in a spiritual battle. And while Satan, the devil, is a defeated foe, nonetheless he continues his attacks on God's people and in God's works in a whole variety of ways. And we have already seen, and Paul will remind them, them again, that trials and persecutions will come their way. Just as we are seeing in our studies in Nehemiah on these Sunday evenings, opposition to the ongoing work of the gospel is one of the devil's master plans. And there are two opposites that we need to bear in mind when we consider the devil and his work. One is this. You have to be careful that we don't give him too much credit. And the second is the exact opposite. We must never overlook or ignore his influence. We remember that he is a real enemy with powers, albeit limited powers as our early studies in Job reminded us. He, he is still under God's control thus far and no further. And for whatever reason and however it was done, Paul puts this inability to reach, to get back to the people at Thessalonica, down to the work of Satan. It was not Paul, due to Paul's inability. It was not due to Paul's indifference that, that he wasn't able to get back and meet with these people whom he loves. We noted last week that two of the growing signs to look for in a Christian is that first of all they accepted God's word and secondly that they were prepared to suffer for God's word. I would say this is a third sign, namely a loving, sorry, a longing and a loving and a desire for and to be 
with the people of God. Paul's longing. He longed to be with these people. Secondly, from verses 19 to 20, we read something of Paul's joy. You know, we know enough of Paul, don't we, to know that he wasn't somebody who would just kind of sit about mumping and moaning about his situation. And he reminds the church again of how special they are to him. Indeed, when he speaks of his hope and his joy and his crown, he tells this young church that they are his hope, they are his joy, they are his crown. And I believe it is important to see here that Paul is, is, as it were, looking forward. Not just to that time when he might be able to meet with them again physically. But he's looking beyond that, brothers and sisters. He is looking to that time when he most certainly will meet with them. And that will happen when the Lord comes. That's the point he is making. As I said at the beginning of this study, the Lord's return is mentioned in every single chapter of this short letter. But, but what does it mean when, when Paul says there is glory and there is joy? Surely, as Paul states elsewhere, Christ is our glory and Christ is our joy. And of course, that's true. So what does Paul mean here? Well, John Stott, as he so often does, helpfully says this. What Paul seems to mean is that his joy in this world and his glory in the next are tied up with the Thessalonians, those whom Christ, through Paul's ministry, has so signally transformed. You see, friends, Paul knew. Paul knew that no matter, no matter how much Satan may thwart his attempts, there would be a day, one day, Blessed day, when without any shadow of a doubt, he, he, he would see them again. Separations are painful. Paul longed to be with this church, to be with these Christians, to fellowship with them. But for the Christian, separation is not final. One day, that day, when Jesus comes again, we will meet again. And Paul's longing is, is somewhat eased here, or, 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 or certainly comforted, I think. Um, as, as Sam Gordon quotes in one of his books, the Lord gives to Paul a new perspective on life in the here and now because Paul caught a glimpse of the there and then. What a wonderful thought. Let me reverse that statement. Brothers and sisters, a view of the future there and then when Christ in all his glory comes helps us in the present here and now what an encouragement that one day all of that longing all of that parting all of that heartache of not seeing and not being with loved ones who have gone before 
will be over. In times of trial and testing and suffering and longing and loneliness, it is the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that keeps us going. In the closing words of chapter 4, which we'll look at probably in a few weeks' time, so we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. And what an encouragement that is to any and all who are going through times of loss and bereavement, that one day, one glorious day, we will meet again. And brother, sister, in Christ, on that day, not only will Paul's joy be complete, but your joy and my joy will be complete also. Then Paul, as it were, comes back down to earth, back to very much the present time, uh, or his present time. And in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3, we read something of Paul's fears. You see, the anguish and the heartbreak of, of this separation eventually got too much for Paul. And we read that he decides to, to do something about it. And he decides to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. And he sends Timothy back with a particular purpose and for a particular reason. Timothy is to go to strengthen and encourage these believers in their faith. Just in case the trials and sufferings had not only unsettled them, verse 3, but actually tempted them away from the faith, verse 5. Paul writes at the end of verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Yet fear is, I guess, something that you would not necessarily associate with Paul. And kind of we'll come back to his fears in a minute or two. But here he is. He's stuck in Athens. He's unable to get to them physically. And he does the next best thing. And he sends Timothy to them. As I say, Paul is, is in Athens. And we know from Acts chapter 17 that that was a very difficult time for him. He was greatly distressed by, by what he saw in that great city. He was alone for a certain amount of time. And then no sooner has Paul got kind of Timothy with him than he is willing for the cause of Christ and the gospel and for the work of God to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. He chose to be left alone again. Because there was a greater work that needed done. Ministry can be lonely. Ministry can be sacrificial. And Paul is willing to pay that price. And he sends Timothy back with what in many ways was actually a threefold purpose. Firstly, he was to strengthen and encourage the believers. Secondly, and actually which follows on from the first, is that, that they, they don't become unsettled by the trials that they face. And thirdly, to bring assurance back to the apostle that actually, don't worry Paul, 
They are well rooted. They are well grounded. They are standing firm in their faith. And these three important areas was a very was a very important mission that Timothy is being sent on. And it arises because Paul is primarily concerned for the spiritual well-being of these people. That's his primary motive. He is so concerned for their spiritual well-being. These people whom he loves, he wants to see them progress in the faith. We need to see that it was their spiritual condition that Paul was concerned about. See, he was above all a pastor with a real heart for his people. And it cost to himself. He sends Timothy. Notice how he describes Timothy. He describes Timothy as a brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel. Timothy is, is really an inspirational guy. Someone that Paul could totally trust. But did you notice that kind of, for want of a better word, job title he gives him here? What's your occupation? Well, Timothy, according to Paul, according to Paul, Timothy's occupation was God's fellow worker. Paul actually makes a similar point in 1 Corinthians 3.9, where we're speaking in relation to divisions in the church. Some were saying, well, I follow Paul, and some were saying, well, I follow Apollos. Paul reminds them, and brothers and sisters, he reminds us when he says we are God's fellow workers. And I just want to take a moment just to encourage you, brother, sister. Just let that thought sink in. That there are many things that the world would seek to define you by. Your job, your status, your colour, your creed. But if, like Timothy, you are a brother in Christ, or you are a sister in Christ, then this morning, your new job title, if you've never thought on it before, is God's fellow workers. Is that not an exciting job description? I was reminded of a story that I, I read many, many years ago. It was concerning the building of, of St. Paul's Cathedral, or the rebuilding of it, and, and, and St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And, and, and one day, Sir, Sir Christopher Wren, he, he went into to the cathedral, and, and he stopped, and he asked three men who, who didn't know who he was, what they were doing. And the first man said to him, I'm cutting some stone. The second man said, well, I'm here to earn a wage. And the third man said this, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build this great chapel. Three responses. One was kind of just doing a job. One was just making a living. And the third, he saw it as doing a small task and a great work. Brother, sister in Christ, as God's fellow workers, we are involved in a great work. I guess that illustration that I 
just shoes would be just as apt, wouldn't it, for our studies in Nehemiah these Sunday evenings. Sir Christopher Wren was the architect. Sir Christopher Wren knew the plan. And he had given the plans to the workers and the foremen and workers and, and whoever else. And this man's job was to follow the plans of the architect. That's our job. May we grasp the awesomeness of being God's fellow workers. Kind of strayed a wee bit. Uh, from Paul's fear, so kind of forgive me. But anyway, Timothy was, as I said, to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. And that is something that we all need to be doing. And it is best done in community. Uh, verse 3 struck me as I was studying this week, where, 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 where we read Paul's concern that, that Paul's concern that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And that's relating to the trials that they're going through at that time. But as I brought that up today, I, I, I began to think about like the current COVID-19 situation and how for many, many people it has been unsettling. And my prayer is that throughout it all, your faith has stood firm. That you have not been unsettled by it. That you have not been tempted away. You see, brothers and sisters, trials of all shapes and sizes will come our way. Things change. But we have the cast iron assurance that God is in control. That God is seated on his throne. That God is the great architect. And that his plan is being worked out. And he works it out in and through us as his fellow workers. And we are called to trust. May it be the case that your faith has grown and been strengthened in these days of trial. For as we saw again from last week, and as Paul reminds them again here in verse 4, that they were warned about trials and persecutions. Paul didn't hide Paul didn't sugarcoat the Christian life. He warned them of trials. He warned them of troubles. He warned them of, of persecutions. And yet, here is Paul, hundreds of miles away in Athens, and, and his great fear was that these trials and these persecutions may have been used by the devil to, to tempt them away from their faith. Let me just say, that that can be as great a danger today as then. It may not be as here outright persecution, but the temptation to waver and to fall is just as real and dangerous. And Paul's fear is that these young Christians through the trials and temptations that they faced, may have caused some to falter. How do we stay strong in these days? Our brothers and sisters, we are strengthened and we encourage, are encouraged when we look not only at the present, 
but we live with an eye to and on the future. A future for the Christian that is both bright and glorious. Paul's longing. He loved these people and he desired to be with them. Paul's joy. One day, one glorious day, he will see them all again. And Paul's fears that they do not falter, but they keep right on till the end of the road. Father God, we pray that in these unsettling times, we would know your peace, we would know your presence, we would know your power. We long for that day when, yes, we can gather physically to lift our voice and praise and worship you, worship you. And we thank you for the inexpressible joy that awaits us when you, Lord Jesus, come in all your glory. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is one of commitment for the cause of Christ our King. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fall and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you once again for, for joining uh, with us this morning. Uh, if you'd like to know more about us as a church, or, or much more importantly, what it means to be a Christian, then please do uh, get in contact with us. Details will appear uh, up on the screen just now. But um, thank you once again, and God bless. <laughs>